Welcome to the 194th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. What do rural farmers and residents of an urban neighborhood have in common? Plenty, it turns out. Both have a stake in creating communities that are healthy places to live. And at the heart of a healthy community is access to sustainably raised food. That's the thinking behind a special partnership between the Land Stewardship Project and Hope Community. The Hope Community Organization is centered in one of the most diverse and economically challenged neighborhoods in Minneapolis. Since 2009, LSP has been working with Hope Community through an initiative called Growing Neighborhood Access to Healthy Food. It's an attempt to build the capacity for shaping a strong neighborhood-scale system that ensures reliable, affordable, and equitable access to healthy food. During the past few years, this work has centered around three gardens in the community. It's turned out to be an excellent way to not only make more healthy food accessible in the community, but to bring people together around shared work and shared meals to discuss other ways of creating a vibrant neighborhood. I recently chatted with Elisa Hoven and Marianne Ebdener about this initiative. Elisa is a program coordinator at HOPE with the Food, Land, and Community Project. Marianne is a lead organizer in LSP's community-based food systems program. Elisa started our conversation by describing HOPE community. Marianne then talked about why LSP and HOPE are working together. We are a community development organization located in the Ventura Village um, in the larger Phillips neighborhood of South Minneapolis, and we have been in the neighborhood for 40 years. Um, We're over the hill now, and... Our work has been centered in the neighborhood, um, building relationships with neighbors, really providing for opportunities for people to create the neighborhoods that they want for themselves. And so we help connect, we help build, we um, offer all sorts of community engagement projects with um, you know, leadership skills and trainings and opportunities to you know, weave in art and culture and um, entrepreneurial efforts. And so we really just are here to help provide uh, the training and the leadership that people are looking for. And um, in addition to the community work, we provide affordable housing. And we have um, four apartments that are at the corner of Franklin and Portland. And then we have several houses that uh, families are living in as well. Marianne, I was wondering if you could just tie that in a little bit to what Elisa was saying about how LSP fits in with that. We're known more mostly as a rural uh, farm organization, and this is kind of a little different. What we've we've been doing. What, what, why? What's our connection here with Hope? Why are we involved with this? Our work from LSB. You're right. We are known just in rural area, but in the past seven years, I think we started working with Hope in this urban agriculture program. One, because we had, I think, finally had funding to do a project like this. Another is uh, we also bring the expertise of farming and understanding a little bit of the importance of food sovereignty, the importance of um, having a relationship with the land and what that value is like, and also in gapping um, the relationship or the story or the narrative between rural and urban. We're taught to believe that we're two different people. We're taught to believe that we don't really have any um, problems in common, that we shouldn't be talking. And I think this is allows us space to bring the two face-to-face and say, oh, look, yeah, you do share the same problem because food deserts not only exist in inner cities or in rural spaces, but they exist in both. And how can we 
how can we combat that together as one rather than uh, accept the narrative that already exists in our society? That's at least how I see my work and how the two connect. I wasn't here when this project started, but from my conversations around this, that's my understanding of how it came about, to just get that conversation going, allowing, you know, 35 years of expertise in rural farming to come to, you know, urban Minneapolis and to connect with community that is newer but at the same time shares the same grievances and can then we can do the job together but but one thing that i've seen that both organizations really value is this value in equity what that looks like for hope in this neighborhood you know we are so close to so many um, toxic plants and um, you know there used to be a pesticide plant in the neighborhood and so access to like healthy green earth and like clean air has always been a concern for this neighborhood working to sort of expose and see all these systems that have been designed to disenfranchise this neighborhood. And I think, you know, LSP has that same interest around farmers and like building power around land and access to healthy practices to the, uh, with the land. Um, so I think equity has always been something that sort of helped bring the two organizations together as well. Also, because I just thought of it too, is allowing to build individual power, like showing people that they don't necessarily have to depend on somebody to solve the problems, but they themselves have what it takes to solve the problems. And we just are um, here to guide people to say, oh, yeah, you actually can do this. Here's what you need to do this. We just provide resources. And all our programs here or at LSP allow people then to say, oh, yeah, I can go get that. We're not really, oh, I'm going to go solve your problem. We're, oh, here's how you can do it. I'm just going to provide the resources. And a lot of that could mean whether working on the farm bill or being here on the ground and just showing people how to grow a simple carrot. And all of a sudden, it's not so foreign or it's not so out of the world because you can do it here in five minutes from downtown Minneapolis. And that changes the way we look at the world. Well, that's a great segue into kind of what is the most, I guess, visible or evident portion of this work, which is the gardens. I should say, not garden, but gardens. I was wondering if you guys could talk a little bit about why gardens. I think you've answered that a little bit, but just go deeper into that. The question of why gardens, um, I think I'd also ask why food. And I think we're learning that food is sort of the center of all these different folks, different communities, different cultures, different languages, that food is this thing that people can connect around and there's traditions in that and there's history around like how we prepare and serve and celebrate food. So that's sort of like the center centerfold, but with gardens, you know, having these spaces, we have this opportunity that Hope owns these three lots, these three spaces where we can grow food. In addition to growing the food, it's these gathering spaces. It's, you know, a, a moment or a glimpse of peace and quiet in the neighborhood. Uh, it's a place where you can sit on a bench and get to know someone else that you've seen around the neighborhood, you don't know. And so it's it's sort of this, this great space that allows people to uh, break down the barriers, get to know their neighbors, have access to all these new learnings around food and... Um, for me, one of the, at least how, the way I see it and why this is such an important thing is I um, came to this country 13 years ago as an immigrant or as a refugee. I never understood the importance of food sovereignty until I couldn't have access to the foods that I knew, you know. And I was a kid then, but at the same time, I couldn't just grow tomatoes in the front yard in order to have my favorite 
you know, sauce in Somali, which is the um, dalabilash. And I couldn't have that. And I was like, how could I not have my dalabilash every time I want it? <laughs> I couldn't. And understanding that and seeing, you know, with my parents and my cousins and my family having to go such a long distance in order to get to a certain store to get a certain spice. And we here right now currently in the Hope neighborhood have majority Somali residents. We have majority immigrant or refugee residents. And so for them to finally have the opportunity to grow things that they want and things that they understand and know, I think that's very powerful. It gives a sense of like, oh yeah, a sense of ownership, a sense of connection, a sense of like, oh, I, I can be a part of this rather than I go to Cubs and I can't find what I'm looking for. So I give up and I start to adapt and change. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're losing your culture and a part of you. So that's, I think, one of the main important things of why having a garden in such a space like this. And why gardens? Because we can't really have farms. <laughs> we're, in we're in urban setting and we're not in rural spaces. So land ownership in that space or even the relationship to land is different because it's not such vast. It, you get little pockets. Uh, as Alyssa said, the unique thing about our space is Hope owns the land. So we're not leasing it, we're not renting it from somebody, and therefore there isn't a very, like, it's very small percentage that we would likely lose it compared to other gardens, which you have to kind of update the lease, or if there's a developer and then you lose that piece of land um, to be able to grow. But this is here, and each year I, I think of it as new. Because each year I get, we get to do something different depending on what our community wants and we always listen to what our community wants. So I think those are some of the really important components of having a garden in a space like this. The other, so the, the gardens that we have, there's three of them. We have our original one which is 16 individual plots which seven years ago was a growing space. And this space currently serves as a space that community members or anybody really who wants a little green pocket that they can grow independently on their own. We don't, they don't, people who grow there don't really depend on us to help them. We might help with seed or finding seedlings and plants, but we necessarily are not there every day. They do their watering and they, they care for that space. Um, the second space and also the second garden is our 2012 collective garden slash youth garden because part of it is a classroom that was designed a couple of years ago with our discovery interns that come or step up discovery interns that come each year we have about four of them and along with Alyssa they designed a classroom on that side of the youth garden and that's a space that we leave off for the youth in the neighborhood to kind of experiment and grow whatever they feel like they need to grow that year or whatever they're really interested in and the youth take care of that space too so they're not only choosing what to grow on it, but they're also it's their space and they can do whatever they want, art or you know, however they choose to experiment with it. And then the second half is our collective garden. That's usually really tended by residents that live in the neighborhood. Um, it has served as a collective space. It has served as a youth space too, especially with the interns that come in the summer. And they also get to experiment a little bit with it. We wish they were here longer with us so they can be here for the whole growing season. We don't we only get them between from I think mid-June and through mid-August. So they don't get to do much with it, but they get to experiment with it. Like last year they did growing buckets and they grew in 50 buckets, but they didn't get to harvest it because they left. <laughs> so I harvested a lot of greens because that's what they chose to grow. And then our other, our third garden and our newest garden and our largest garden is a the Garden of the Rose. And it's connected to the new building right here on the intersection of Portland and Franklin Avenue 
And the rows is 5,000 square foot space of green space. Um, it was designed by Paula Westmoreland, and it's a beautiful space. This is a fully collective growing space. It's not restrictive to one person or even one community. Um, it is attached to the building. It is our, in my head, I think of it as our greenest space because it uses rainwater to, for irrigation because the water that's collected from the Rose Building is stored under the garden, and that's what we use for um, watering for our irrigation. We also have a little pump that you can <laughs> pump water into if you want to water things by hand. Um, and that space is where, you know, where we piloted last year was our first year of growing. And we did, I think, about 500 pounds, yeah. over 500 pounds of food Just last double, year. Double what we had grown ever before. So really Yes. And we still had a few spaces that we didn't grow on. And this year, I think we were planning to grow on all the spaces. So I'm quite interested to see. And some of the fruit uh, trees didn't fruit last year. so the pounds are going to go up. But this is space is where we've met. We discovered last year, Alyssa and I, that the more we're in that space, the more people will meet because people walk by. And like you said, it's a surprise. You're like, all of a sudden, you're in, Frank I mean, Portland. And then here it is, this beautiful space where there's things growing and there's people gardening. And that starts conversation. Or we have some cherry trees along the fence. And people are just like, what is this? I had one time I was with my three-year-old out there and the signs of the gardens were being put up and I was eating some of the sour cherry trees. And the woman, a woman walked by and she's like, don't feed your kids these berries. You don't know what they are. I'm like, yeah, I know what it is because I put this tree here. <laughs> you know, And I, it started a conversation about what the cherries until she tasted and then she recognized them. And she was like, oh, that's what they are. I'm like, yep. And so this year, I'm pretty sure I won't eat all the cherries. But <laughs> I know I won't eat all the cherries. But so those are our spaces, and that's how they work. And the garden, uh, the rose, is fully designed to be almost flexible. Anything it can be a classroom. We've used it as a space to teach people. We've used it as a space to just relax. Some of the residents that live in that area would go in there and just weed on their own, or you know, the doors are open, and it's a very communal space that a very collective space, and we've had an honor system. We don't have really a system of like, oh, you have to do this much in order to harvest this much. Yeah, just like Marianne was saying, the more we were out there, the more folks we met. And for me, all of last year was just greeting and learning people's names and hearing stories of folks who've grown food in different parts of the country and they've you know, somehow arrived to Minneapolis but haven't had a garden since. And so I think just hearing those stories and building those relationships and finding things to do together. If we were sitting to we sitting and weeding or um, harvesting or, you know, a lot of the kids come through and want berries and want to look for the bugs. And so last year was, was for me personally for like my approach to the work was all about like getting to know these folks. And these folks are families in the neighborhood, people walking through, people who might uh, work in the neighborhood. Uh, a lot of folks are biking um, south on Portland going home, so they'd stop through and you know on the way home from work or something. So, so that was my highlight. Definitely was meeting so many folks last year. Um, you know, a couple other things is we grew watermelons along the fence and had planned for that. The fence would help you know be a trellis for them so they could grow up and they grow. They grew through the fence and reached further into the sidewalk, um, and so that was like an easy way to connect with someone because they're like, what is going on? There's watermelon on the sidewalk. So 
just yeah, the intimacy of like being, you know, just just feet away from something that's that's growing food for our community, and and so that was always fun because everyone wanted to stop and t talk with with us. And then maybe another highlight for me, and for our team, I think was we did um, a series of skill shares, and we uh, we called it Ripple Ecology, really wanting to explore our connection with the land and learning different skills around soil and water and seed saving and how to preserve our food. And there was a cohort of about 25 people that went through these five skills, skill shares. And then sort of in between the skill shares, they would commit to sharing it back with their community in whatever way they wanted, if they wanted to sit and chat with their mother or if they wanted to have their friends over. And really a way for us to like build our base of knowledge and build our connections with each other, with people who want to know these skills and want to reconnect. And so in the end, you know, I think we reached, you know, over 100 people um, around those skills and, and really just helped. The, the cohort was just like a family and they were very, very excited to know each other and to have gone through that experience together. So. so last year with the Ripple Ecology, Alyssa was on the planning team and the facilitators for the program. I was, uh, especially at the beginning, a participant since it was my first year with the project. It was a great entry point for me because it allowed me not only to meet people around here who wanted to do the same things I was doing as, you know, not as an employees of this project, but as just residents in these neighborhood. But the unique thing about it was there's a uh, a partnership between four different organizations. So Hope Community, well, five, Hope LSB, Gardening Matters, Wade House, and um, PRI. What the way the programs were facilitated or the each workshop was, it was a different location. So we would we would go in to see, you know, our first lesson was at Mishkiki Kirigan. So we actually got to see other growing spaces or other people, meet other people who are growing within East Phillips or South Minneapolis. And I thought that was amazing because we were all coming together and learning together and then we all go back to our communities and then teach other people and then bring back what we learned. So it was just this perfect flow of information and so the name Ripple was perfectly fitting because it just, you know, we went back and forth and um, that group is still connects. We have a Facebook page now and we, um, somebody would be, you know, making, what was it, honeymead at home and we went to somebody's house to learn how to do that and it just keeps flowing and the group contacts each other with opportunities to learn and places and so I think that was just a perfect place to start and I think that's how community should be. A space where you can share information consistently without having a, a requirement to do this or that or, you know, a course like that would probably cost a lot of money at some of the university, but then to have it, be able to have access to it in places like this is what this program creates. I find that when that was first described to me, that kind of ripple ecology, I find that really exciting because it really taps into people learn maybe a new skill or they get uh, um, in some ways uh, in contact with a new way of doing things. And then when it, th there's two great things about them then spreading that information or passing that information on. One is I think you learn it better mm -hmm. because, you know, you, you're going to be maybe teaching somebody else. But the other is it kind of gives you this confidence, you know, that... Uh, I don't know, it really helps give people and maybe some pride in being associated with something like the garden or whatever. It, it, I mean, is that kind of some of the ideas around that? It's not just to get that information out further, but to help maybe create that core 
foundation of these people are going to keep coming back and keep and keep working with it kind of thing? Something we've been exploring is you know, exploring our food system and sort of the story, um, the long history of our food system have has been, you know, not great. And it has been, you know, stolen land. It has been like labor that has been, it has so many injustices and, and, uh, and we're sort of accustomed now where we want cheap food and we're, we complain when we can't find something that's cheap. And so I think we're also trying to like expose that food system and recreate something different here. And I think with Ripple Ecology and sort of this like collective experience is actually like democratizing food access again and like building skills with people and, you know, like creating this value of like we can be producers and we can create and we can um, grow food and we can learn how to cook it and we can share it with each other and we don't have to be consumers all the time. And I think that's really pushing against a capitalist structure that our food system lives inside of. And I think that's challenging for a lot of people because it's it's relearning skills that our, our ancestors once knew. And I think that's a long journey because so much of that has been lost. But I think for our three plots and for our communities here, like we are doing our best to reconnect with that and to make those shifts and, and have sort of some transition plan because we need to be thinking about that um, in terms of sustainability and uh, resilient communities. We need to know how to take care of ourselves. I think it's also beyond um, Ripple is that that theme is throughout our program. So when, you know, we do have, we call our three gardens collectively the farm. <laughs> it's just a way to shorten it out, otherwise we'd have to name each one of them. <laughs> so we have our farm and then we have our kitchen. So corresponding with uh, gardens is the kitchen. So hope on the main building that we're in, on the lobby, there is a industrial kitchen. And we've been using that to do either cook for programs as we are you know, hosting something or we're having a table conversation. We usually make a meal, but we also use it to, the, during the growing season, a group of people that meet, about 12 of them that meet every other week and we cook together. And we just explore nutrition options of like alternative cooking rather than using a certain ingredients, but then changing it up in order to have more nutrition or more, much more benefit out of that meal. And within that group, one of the things that we've been exploring or I've been doing last year especially was taking it back and trying it at home, different meals. Like how can you substitute, you know, meat out of your meal for a couple nights of the week or how can you utilize instead of using regular potatoes, using sweet potatoes in different ways and how, what does that look like to your family and teaching? So this person not only comes and participates in the class, but they go back home and they teach their family how to cook and do this. And then we also teach people how, where to find a healthier food or a much wholesome food within the community that they're in rather than, you know, just depending on certain foods that are not beneficial to their bodies and their whole being. And so a lot of that, again, that narrative or that message continues throughout the program. And as we're in the food, you know, you have it, it comes from the garden, you bring it to the kitchen, you cook together and you have a meal together. And then majority of the time when you're having a meal together, you sit around a table and that's our table part of the third component of our um, program is having those conversations then. Wondering, you know, asking the questions, usually checking in to see how their week was since the, the last time we met or their two weeks were and what did they eat and how did they feel. Um, sometimes our conversations are around current events and what was going on. And I think currently 
we need that a lot in a communal space, open spaces. You can talk and have a conversation. A lot of them was just research, you know, something will, a point will come up and I or Alyssa or somebody will research or even a community member will research and come back with the information. And I've learned to that no matter what the age of a person is, you throw something on the table, somebody knows something about it and are willing to share. But if you don't really ask, no one is just willingly to share, say, oh, I bet you're thinking about that. Let me answer it for you, you know, unless you ask the question. Even from our youngest, like sometimes we have kids, you know, we have our youth who live in the neighborhood, who participate in all our conversation and all our projects, and they're a part of it. But sometimes they bring their younger siblings, and we'll be sitting around the table, and at the end of the night, somebody will ask a question for that like two or three-year-old, and the things that they say, you're like, oh, so you were listening to me. <laughs> you know, it's quite amazing. And everything that we do, again, like I said, is we go through the Hope Community's listening model, and that's where we have most of our conversations at the table of wondering, like, what do we need? What do you think your neighbor needs? What do you think you need? And what does that look like? And how can we bring that about? And the spaces in the gardens, the spaces in the kitchen, or here just in the comments allows us for that conversation to develop. Because you're not just seeing people for once and then you send them on their way, but you're cooking with them. And once people are actively doing something, the conversation just changes. And all of a sudden you go from somebody who's telling what people what to do, which we don't really do that, but to a participant. And you're right there as a community and you're sharing knowledge and you're sharing experiences. Like we did with, um, we discovered that we had a, so out of Ripple we had a wild foraging class. And we learned a little bit about some of the weeds that randomly were growing in the garden, and it just flourished into all the gardens. And then before you knew it, we were drying mullein <laughs> in the kitchen, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with it. And so it's just it's that effectiveness of, like, we learn one thing, and then we go about and figuring out. And who brings about that knowledge is not, you know, dependent on Alyssa and I. Majority of the time, I feel like I'm the one that's learning. It's dependent on our community members and their interests and their well-being as a whole, whether it's in the gardens or in the kitchen or around the table or they're communicating with the youth. So that's, I think, what you talked about earlier about sharing and teaching others in order to make sure that you know what um, you've learned is fluid throughout our program. And I think it's fluid throughout HOPE and LSB too. I know one of the things, one of the important things about having a garden that's successful during the growing season is to do things in the off season, <laughs> to keep that interest there and to keep that energy going when you're not out there getting the tomatoes and everybody everybody loves gardening then, you know. So it sounds like you did some things this past winter that were effective in, in that area. Yeah, yeah. So we, we hosted three community planning sessions, and they were sort of designed to, you know, reconnect with everyone we had met last season, um, inviting them, them back, being sure we had a good dinner together, and spent time, you know, the first session was around sort of uh, learning people's experiences or stories with, with food and sort of um, journeys they've had. And some, some women were sharing, you know, that they had learned to farm when they were living in different parts of Africa and how um, coming here and being on this new, new terrain and this new space, like how that has really shifted for them. And so just really hearing people's stories with, with land and food. And then we got into sort of some more practical things of like, you know, what varieties do we want? You know, people have lots of ideas around tomatoes and peppers and beans and onions. And, you know, we're starting to learn the different words and the different languages for these foods, which is like really, really wonderful. And I think, again, like what Marianne was saying about 
people not losing their culture because they're in a new place, but like holding on to it and ensuring that those things can be continued to be growing. And so, yeah, we got into the planning for the garden and then sort of into, you know, the different skills people want to learn in the kitchen because, you know, a lot of the work is in the garden, but then when we come out, we were... We harvest it, and we it's like, what should we do with this? So Marianne leads the community kitchen where, you know, there's a recipe and sort of new skills that people are learning and different ways to use different ingredients. And, you know, we've really tried to, like, you know, use all of the herbs that come from the garden. We, we have some drying in the kitchen right now. Um, and so really, yeah, connecting the, the farm to the kitchen and really you know, always, always making time for a good meal together, so... Growing up in the society that we live in, one of my surprises was that we didn't need rules. Even though I was against setting up rules, like to do it, but the fact, even discovering that if we didn't set them up, we didn't really need them. We didn't need to have a certain like saying, oh, if you come into the garden on these days, you have to do this and this. We just provided resources, right? Put information on the windows of the shed and people just did them. And people who didn't know would willingly come up and tell you, I don't know how to do this. Like no one, it was more reluctant to just go into it rather than we were actually pulling people in and just like, come, just come see and be in the space. And But there weren't any rules. There weren't, and there was no need for the rules. People just accepted this honorary system and without us having to explain it, without ha it's just this beautiful trust in, within a community that was not forced, yeah. that developed organically, and that we just let it allow. And I think it taught me a lot about just accepting the space as it is rather than trying to structure it to what I think it should be. The other surprise for me was I really had to convince people to come in at first. <laughs> You know, because some people will ask me, can I buy it from you? I'm like, no, you don't. Actually, it's free. And they're like, really? Um, and I, over and over after saying it, and that's what got us to being in the garden, in the gardens more and more. We're like, let's just spend time there. And it paid off for us to just sit and, you know, whether we're having a conversation or trying to do some kind of work, it's really hard to work in a space like that because you just want to play. Right. But just being there and talking to parents and kids alike and consistently explaining that this is a free space, that this is a community space that anybody, whether the level of your knowledge, whether you know it or not, was really amazing. And it took a while, and which I think is a proof of our structure of our society currently and how we approach food and not understanding that you can just take part in it. And I also understand that majority of the um, community gardens in Minneapolis are, you know, plots. People own plots, and you don't really go into somebody's plots and take something out, you know. So others are not really welcome. But to have just a growing space that's open for everybody to come and take what they need or do what they need, because some people just go in there and just weed. Some will take a nap. Some will just be in the green space. And we have, you know, one part of the garden is a meditation space so people can sit there. And just allowing that space to be was quite amazing. And so the two, those two of, like, not there's not needing the uh, the rules and also welcoming people in. I think that those were two of uh, like my major surprises, and how much people knew about gardening as a kid. It's grandma or mom gardening in the backyard and teaching people what to do. I think that was quite amazing too. We you know we spend all winter planning and we sort of figure out when staff can be out there to support these garden hours. And then we sort of like hope for the best and see what happens. And then for me, the biggest learning and like the most like humbling part of it is like stepping to the side and letting the, the, 
the community take it forward. And just last night, there was like probably 50 people in the garden. You know, my role was to sort of help connect people to different things to do and have and try to get teams to work together. And, you know, someone wanted a, a key to the shed so he could go back tomorrow and weed. And I was like, all right, I can do this. And just, like, being open to, like, letting it shift. It's not going to live inside these three hours on a Tuesday night. You know, it needs to live beyond that. And, you know, Santiago is talking about, he's like, I found a grill. I want to bring it by. I want to barbecue with you all, you know. And, and like, that can be his role. And, and, you know, so I think it's just, like, this wonderful thing when you you know, you, you work hard to plan something and then it, it like moves forward and like these community members have all these ideas and um, really the role then is just to step to the side and like support them. And I think that is when I just get so excited because that's really what I believe is that this will continue with them. And, you know, Mariana and I's role may change with the garden in the, in the next few years once the community has more, you know, once there's more keys out in the community where they can get in the shed. And, and I think that's just really important. And like, I'm super inspired by that people stepping up and, and saying, I want to do this. Like I'm bringing my grill, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I always try to frame this around we're growing community and we're also growing some food while we do that, you know? And, like, always centering it around relationships and power and connections with each other. For more on the Land Stewardship Project's work with Hope Community, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. There's also a Facebook page entitled Gardens of Hope and Community Kitchen. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.